Hey everyone, I'm Kevin Wallace from Redemption to the Nation's Church, and I'm grateful that we are going to have this opportunity to bring this message of hope, healing, and restoration to you and your family today. I want you to stay with me till the end. I'm going to come back and pray. Be blessed by the word of the Lord. I want you to go to 1 Chronicles, the 16th chapter, and I want us to jump right into the word this morning. I'm going to continue this message that I began last week called the dimensions of this house. How many know this house has dimensions? And we have dimensions of the building, but we're not going to talk today about the dimensions of this natural physical building. 60,000 square feet is a lot, of, a lot of dimensions in this building. But that's not the dimensions I'm talking about. Too many, too many times church is established by earthly dimensions I want to talk today about divine dimensions, heavenly dimensions. How many know that there's something happening on this earth, but how many recognize there's a greater thing happening in an unseen realm in this building? Oh, my Lord Jesus. In this building, there is a spiritual atmosphere. Yeah, this is not just you looking at your neighbor who's got on a nice new suit and a wig and a toupee and some extensions and a weave. No, this is this is spiritual. What's happening in this room is not just to be related to in the natural. We are spirit beings. And there is a spirit world going on. And as we do something called praise and worship, something begins to happen in this spiritual atmosphere. And God is calling us up higher into greater dimensions, not just earthly dimensions, but heavenly dimensions. And that's what we're talking about as it regards the house of the Lord, the tabernacle and the tent of David. How many were here last Sunday? Lift your hand. Uh, it would be good for you if you were not to go back and catch last week because it's foundational to what I will teach today. And we'll see if we get through it all today. But the restoration of the temple of David, Acts chapter 15, is what is going on in the earth right now. God has a specific agenda. He is not just asking pastors to build their favorite kind of place. He is asking the fivefold to develop a house that looks like heaven on earth. I didn't get no help right there, but I want to tell you, we are not here to build our favorite kind of church. We are here to build church that looks like what's going on in heaven. If you want God to show up, you better do it the way God wants it. Say amen. Well, what if aunt and auntie and aunt and uh, uh, auntie and uncle Jim and Sally and Mabel don't like it? They're going to have to get with the program because heaven does not take orders. Heaven gives us the blueprint and we are responsible for doing what God wants him to do. Somebody say amen. First Corinth, First Chronicles, not Corinthians. First Chronicles chapter 16. When you have it, say amen. I'm going to continue the thought today that we started last Sunday about the tabernacle or the tent of David. Why does God like this place, the tent of David, so much? We're going to talk about it some today. Let's read together. Verse 1, First Chronicles 16. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. This is the tent of David. Listen to this. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone he gave a loaf of bread a piece of meat and a cake of raisins. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord. 
to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph, the chief, next to him, Zechariah, then Jael, and then Shamaroth, and then Jahiel, and then, y'all better give me some for pronouncing these words. I stayed up all night last night for this thing. Mattathiah, and Eliab, and Benaniah, and Obadiah. We heard about him last week, amen? And Jael with stringed instruments and harps, but Asaph made music with cymbals. Listen to this. And Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, regularly, that word in the Hebrew means continually, they blew the trumpets before the ark of the covenant of God. And I want to talk about that today, about why God in Acts 15 says when the Holy Spirit is breaking out in the book of Acts and everybody's wanting to know what's going on, James says this is the rebuilding of the tent of David. What was the tent of David? That's what I just read to you and it's what I want to talk about today. Why does God like that house so much? So let's talk about it today. Father, help me to preach and to teach the word with accuracy, with unction. I pray this house would be moved from glory to glory. Don't let us... Stay like you found us today, God, but transform us and change us and even shift the spiritual atmosphere and run the spirit of fear out of this place. Some people in this room are still afraid of what man has to say about them. But I thank you today that the fear of man is broken off this house and that people are going to begin to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness with freedom and with breakthrough. And Father, I just thank you right now that church will no longer be a place where the where the dove is caged, but you're, you're releasing the dove on the people of God. And we just say in this room today, we just say, let the dove be free. Lord. Let the Holy Spirit be loose to move. Come on, somebody just say that with me. Lord, let the dove be free to do whatever he wants to do in this place today. Have your way, God. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Uh, we were talking last week about the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David. Amos prophesied it and then James said it was coming to pass and being fulfilled that when the Gentiles began to come into the kingdom, it was a sign of the building again of something that had been torn down. And we talked about how there were different tabernacles and temples in the Old Testament. God could have rebuilt the tabernacle of Moses, but he chose not to do that. He could have rebuilt the, tab the temple of Solomon, but he did not do that. He took what is arguably the most embarrassing edifice of the Old Testament. And when I say embarrassing, I mean that because when you look at the tent of David, it was nothing more than four poles with a cover on top. And yet what made it so attractive to God was that the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of the Lord, was underneath that tent. And all people in the Old Testament, it's the only place that ever happened, all people, both Jew and Gentile, could come and look upon the glory of the Lord and worship in the beauty of God's holiness. And when God begins to rebuild something in the new covenant, he takes a page out of the old covenant and he ignores Moses' tabernacle and the worship system of the old, uh, the old covenant and he ignores Solomon's temple which actually reverted back to the sacrificial system that was implemented in Moses' tabernacle. He ignores both of those places and he says, I like David's tent. Why? Why would God rebuild David's tent in Acts 15? And why is God rebuilding it still to this day? I, I want to talk about that today. Uh, I talked to you last week about the tent of David being a place of presence. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. How many know that there's, there's a difference between doing church and having the presence of God? 
If you've never been to a church where the presence of God is moving, um, then, then you may be tempted to believe that just good church services are what we're hungry for. I am thankful for good church services with excellence and when things run smoothly and things happen uh, you know, uh, well and it feels good, it looks good. But I'm going to tell you, there's a difference between that and the power of God's presence touching lives. And I have seen both and I prefer the presence of God in my church and I prefer the presence. I'm not going to a dead church. I'm not going to a silent dead church where there's no activity and there's no freedom and there's no there, there's no flow. I, I want to be in the move of God where things are happening and people are free and we're not walking around like a bunch of corpses and mummies. And there are people who would say quickly, oh, we want to make sure we're in order. Let me help you understand something, family. We are so subnormal. If the church ever gets normal, people will talk about us, about us like we're abnormal. I think that we need to quit worrying about what what people think about us, what our neighbor thinks about us. And I think we ought to do church in a way that makes God please and makes God want to come. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to the presence of God, there's something about the presence of God that'll fix everything going on wrong in your life. And you need a place and I need a place where the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is happening so that we walk in everything God has called us to be. Tent of David was a place of presence. It was not only a place of presence, as I shared with you last week, it was a place for all people. There is no outer court, inner court, holy of holies in David's tent. There is one court. Everybody is welcome to come. This is the kind of place God is building, a place where everybody can come, and there is no court system, and there is no special section for the special people who have a special anointing and a special touch. We are all, every single one of us, washed in the blood, given the invitation to enter his gates with thanksgiving and to come into his courts with praise I don't care what your last name is who your mama and your daddy were it doesn't matter what pedigree you come from it doesn't matter how jacked up and cacked up your past is if you're washed in the blood you get to come to the presence of the Lord and sit at the table of the king now, uh, enough with looking down our long religious noses at people because they didn't they didn't get here a long time ago they haven't been serving the Lord for a long time they shout out of turn they cry and they step on your purse and they dance in your space and they shout in your ear and you wonder what is wrong with them. Nothing is wrong with them. They have just been in contact with the goodness and the grace of God. And we encourage people to respond to God commensurate with the level of blessing and goodness that he has demonstrated in their life. Do you got Bible for that? I'm glad you asked. The Bible said God is great and greatly to be praised. If he He's a micro God who's given you a micro blessing then a micro praise is in order but if he's been good to you and he's blessed you beyond what you deserve you ought to come in here and leave with a praise on your lips a clap in your hand a dance in your feet a shout in your voice because he's worthy it's a place for all people the churchy and the unchurchy some of us are as churchy as Noah was Arky. But we're all welcomed at the, in the presence of the Lord. There is fullness of joy. We want everybody to come into the presence of the Lord. But I didn't come to preach about that today. I didn't come to preach about presence or, or the people. I came today to preach about two more things. The reason why God liked the tent of David and he's still rebuilding it in our day. Number one, it was not only a place of presence and a place for all people. It was a place of pardon. Do you understand that 
Uzzah touched the Ark of the Covenant and died. God was so serious about flesh and sacrifice that when Uzzah wouldn't kill his own flesh, something else had to slay it, the presence of God. I talked to you last week or two weeks ago, revival is as much about what God kills as what he brings to life. And I want to tell you right now, God loves you and I too much to let our flesh reign. Our flesh needs to be crucified. And the Bible tells us um, that David was not a perfect man. If I were God, why would I want to rebuild a tent named after a man who had a serious set of problems? Uh, maybe the tent of Abraham would be more appropriate. Mm. Maybe the, I wouldn't, the tent of Jesus would be more appropriate. It's, it's all about these holy men. But the tent of David? An adulterer? Y'all got quiet. A murderer? A man who went out at the time that kings should be in a battle. The Bible said he went out on his roof. And I've been there and I looked at it. I can imagine as he walked out on top of his temple, of, his, of, his, of the place he lived. He walked out of his mansion on his roof and he looked over all the kingdom God had blessed him with. And there is Bathsheba on the roof taking a bath. And he sees her and the Bible said he wants her. And so he uses his authority to get her into his palace. And he has an affair with her. And then to cover up his sin, he has her husband on the front line to be executed in the time of battle. And yet God says, that's who I'm building a tent after, and that is a man after my own heart. Now, I need an explanation here for all the religious people. How is it that God is willing to, to jeopardize his own integrity and resume by identifying himself with a man who has such a sinful past? I'm glad you asked the question. Because God is often willing to associate himself with people who have a past as long as their understanding of his grace and mercy leads them to a place of forgiveness and cleansing. Uh, come on in here and talk to me Psalm 51, the Bible said, this is the man who sinned against God. This is the man who committed adultery. This is the man who committed murder. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, and cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be cleansed. Wash me, and I shall be white as snow teach me that I may be able to be converted and when I am let me show transgressors their ways what are you preaching pastor I'm telling you that God likes a place not of perfection we ought to strive for it but whenever we fall God give us a house where people can find pardon not just be buried in condemnation you don't need to walk in here and walk out feeling hopeless and condemned you need to walk in here and say yes I fell down but Bishop told me I could get back up again. I want to tell somebody if you fall get back up again and get back in the race the race is not given to the swift but those who finish the course and if you fell down he's not finished with you yet you can't stay down. Greater is he that is in you than the one that's in the world. Place of pardon. Do you understand that Uzzah died and when David takes the ark, 
the covenant and puts it under the tent of David for 33 years. First of all, how many know that number sounds familiar? 33 years the Gentiles and all the world could come and look at the glory of God. And I read a story over in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about a Galilean Jew born through a virgin womb of a girl named Mary who for 33 years walked on this planet and people could behold the glory of God. 33 years David's tent with the Ark of the Covenant was up under that tent. Watch this. And no one died. Do you understand that when David was caught in adultery and when he was found guilty of murder in the eyes of God, do you understand that in the Old Testament there was no provision of forgiveness for a man who committed adultery and committed murder? What does that mean? It means he should have died. Why didn't he die? Because he had a revelation of the compassion of God. He had a revelation of the mercy of God. Listen to me, church. There are too many people, especially in this town, who put scarlet letters on those who fall. And when somebody does something stupid that everybody sees, then you get the little club that gets together and they drape an, the red letter on your back. If it's adultery, if, it, if it's messing up, whatever it is, people try to identify you because of what you did rather than what you're going to be. Well, I want to announce in this house, I don't even care about what you did in your past. I didn't come to investigate you. I'm not putting my hands on the evidence that God has already absolved you from if the son makes you free I don't care what bozo and foo-foo and what he and she and everybody else elder flip-flop and deacon so-and-so and bishop yay yay and all of them it doesn't matter what they say about you if your mess is under the blood you need to pick up your stuff and keep on walking with Jesus and don't let anybody tell you you're not worthy if the lamb of God shed his blood for your sin he alone says that you are worthy there is pardon and forgiveness no matter what I'm going to walk around here and preach because somebody sitting in this room today feels hopeless and you feel so screwed up that God would never love you again I want to tell you this house is not a house of judgment it's a house of pardon I came to preach about a God that didn't come to kill you he came to give you life and to give you life more abundantly come on high five your neighbor tell him it's a house of pardon I don't know what you did, but I know what he did for you. I don't know what you're ashamed of, but I know what he took for you. I don't know what the devil's talking to you about and reminding you of your past. If I were the devil, I'd try to trap you in your past because he knows a little bit about what God's got in store for you in your future. And the devil's trying to keep you out of your destiny. But somebody needs to praise God today that the blood of Jesus Christ is able to wash you, forgive you, cleanse you. If you got a past it's all right the blood still says you have a future somebody shout now you have a future some of y'all in this room today running from your past hoping you came to a church where nobody knows it we don't know it and I don't even care I came to talk to you about where you're going, not where you've been. 
when you get in the car to drink and drive to your buffet to eat your lunch, you don't drive looking in the rear view mirror. You drive looking through the windshield. Why? Where you're going is so much bigger than where you've been. And somebody's got to get a revelation of the forgiveness of God. It's not just that he's, he, he sort of forgot about it. It's that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removed your transgression. I refuse to allow you to be intimidated by religious people who think they have some evidence over you that, that, that jeopardizes your call and your future. The devil is a liar. The next time Brother Ye Ye or Sister Flip Flop ask you who do you think you are with a past like yours, who do you think you are? Ask them how much time do you have? I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed in the city and blessed in the field. I'm blessed when I come. I'm blessed when I go. When I walk in, I'm blessed. When I leave, I'm blessed. My babies are blessed. The curse has been broken out and black you sound so mad I am mad at religion because religion's got some of you who want to praise God all bound up thinking that because you did some 10 years ago you'll still be listen if you repented of it and put it under the blood don't reach through the blood and pick it back up again let it stay under the blood in fact I need somebody to praise God that you can't even find the mess you made you can't even find the mess you made you can't even find the hell you created you don't even know where to go to locate your own sin I know I'm not what I'm gonna be but I'm thankful I'm not who I used to be somebody give God praise for the power of the blood of Jesus Lord I feel like preaching here I'm thankful that in Cleveland there is a precious flow that washes white as snow somebody praise God This will be a house of pardon. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to steer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithful. Lord, I'm going to preach on pardon here. Do you understand that the saddest book in the whole Bible is the book of Lamentations? It's actually called Lamentation. You don't get no sadder than Lamentation. The man is sitting in the midst of exile. He's in a strange foreign land in bondage. His enemies are surrounded him, surrounding him. All of his friends took their harps and hung them on willow trees and quit playing. They stopped singing songs. They're all depressed sitting on the side of the river. And Lamentations is the writer Jeremiah waking up one morning. In the middle of the saddest book of the whole Bible, the third chapter, the 20th verse, gives us a sign of hope. He woke up one morning depressed, looking at all of the result of his sin. And the devil, I can see the devil telling him, Jeremiah, here you are in Babylon. It's all over. You have no future. And Jeremiah says, this I recall. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. It is the mercy of the Lord that we are not consumed. 
great is thy faithfulness sometimes you gotta praise God for what didn't happen that should have happened to you oh come on in here church grace is where God gives you something you didn't deserve mercy is where God keeps something from happening that you did deserve and how many can understand today if we would have gotten what we deserved all of us would have been burning in hell this morning but I want you to look around at the goodness of God some of you see people sitting across the room and you know things they did in their past in fact your religious self gets frustrated to see them blessed in this season of their life because you know the mess they made and the sin they committed and if it were up to you you wouldn't bless them at all but I want to tell you sister yay yay it ain't up to you God is good to those who turn to him and I'm making some people real mad right now but we need to get a revelation of forgiveness in the church I'm not talking about a blank check to sin as much as you want to sin I'm talking about when we fall down and we're miserable over our sin get up in the name of Jesus and walk on God is not through with you yet it's a place of pardon look at you every time it's a place of pardon but not only does God like it because it's a place of pardon it's also a place of praise Do you understand Moses' tabernacle was not a place of praise? It was a place of sacrifice and blood. In fact, uh, the Peter people, the pet people, the animal folk, they would have been on uh, Fox and CNN and MSNBC screaming about all the blood of the little lambs and the donkeys and the peace offerings and the sin offerings that were offered at Moses' tabernacle. They wouldn't have been able to handle the blood. Uh, in fact, they cut a trench around the altar and they would carry the blood of the animals out and they would, and, and it was the it was absolutely disgusting and, and, and that should be disgusting because it's a picture of what our sin did to Jesus. There was no praising going on at Moses' tabernacle. It was death and sacrifice. Yet when you come to David's tent, it's a different order of worship. I'm trying to find out why most churches look like Moses' tabernacle. And if we get real lucky... Some of y'all carry the TV. <laughs> Phil go. This will not be a quiet church. Ever. Well, I'm quiet. Well, we're glad you're here. But what I'm telling you is you keep hanging around and you're going to get a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. Oh, you trying to make us all what you know. I'm not trying to make you anything. I'm trying to tell you what he wants you to be. You are not to be heavy and cast down and always so, always so stoic and solemn. Why? Because the blood of the lamb has been applied. If any group of people in the planet ought to have joy, it ought to be people who know that the sin has been erased and the name has been written down and God has blessed their life. Let me, let me teach this. Say place of praise. So some people think that, that even, you know, uh, I hear people say all the time, um, 
You're just trying to get them excited, all worked up. Do you understand nobody says that when you go to a football game? Well, we're not in a football game. Exactly. We are in the presence of the Lord. Um, we're getting them. You're working them up, says the deep theologian. You're working them up. Do you understand that when we encourage people to praise God, it is not our praise that we are asking them to give. It is the praise of the one who is worthy. And if you read many of the Psalms, the psalmist doesn't take a passive approach to suggesting people give God praise. He, he, the, the psalmist doesn't say stuff like this. If you feel good and you like the song and it's your favorite quartet, then you can clap. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise. It doesn't say, if you like the tone and you like the drums, praise him. It says, the Bible said, praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Why do we do this? Why, what is it about praise, pastor, that you are so... I'm just making sure you understand he needs to receive the glory due his name. And, and there is a reason why psalmists in not just encouraged, but they told the people of God, don't even, don't even approach him until you understand that he is known in praise. He is known in Judah. There is an atmosphere where God makes himself known. It's not a religious, dead, dried up, stoic, messed up atmosphere with a bunch of people standing around like a bunch of locked up wooden Indians and they don't have no joy. No, there's some freedom. It gets down in your feet. It gets in your hands. Every now and then it'll get in your neck and you'll snap your neck and you'll feel some victory rising up on the inside of you. That same feeling you get when you get excited when Tennessee finally beats Alabama. That, that same kind of experience is available for people. Not just an emotional experience but an emotional response to a spiritual reality that he broke the chains and he set me free and the presence of the Lord is worthy of praise. This idea that reservedness is deep. Holding back praise is somehow a mark of maturity. Tell that to David. Who was the king over all of Israel. And when they brought the Ark of the Covenant back into the city of Jerusalem, he took off his robe. And he put on a linen ephod. And he danced. The Bible does not say the Holy Ghost picked his foot up. I'm getting ready to make some folk mad right here. You know, there are some people in the WBI. The WBI, the Worship Bureau of Investigation. And they walk around like Michael, David's wife, and they say things that sound deep but are completely scripturally error. They say things like, that person is in the flesh. They're too excited. They're in the flesh. Let me first of all help you understand something. I can't find one scripture. I looked high and low. I can't find one scripture anywhere in the Bible that regulates praise and tells people who are happy about what God's done to tone it down. Bring it to me this week. Tell me where it is. Oh, order, order, order. No, you're not talking about order. You won't control. 
There's a difference between being decent and in order and being in control. And most people who are worried about control don't even have the authority to make the decision that something is out of order. What we need to do is take the limit off, break the glass ceiling and say, God, we're tired of building church that look like Moses' tabernacle. We want to build a church that looks like Revelation chapter 4 where angels are, are circling the throne. Come on here, somebody. Where peals of thunder and rolls of lightning are happening, where there are sounds of angelic voices and music is being played and it's not about the people in the room. It's about the lamb on the throne. Worthy! It's the lamb who was slain. WBI, Worship Bureau of Investigation. They're too excited. Calm down. In the flesh. I tell you this right now. That spirit is in trouble. Because there's a tribe of people that don't give a rip anymore. I told Pastor Chris this morning as we were worshiping. Do you know why we're beginning to see some freedom break out in praise and worship in the, na in the nations? Because God is getting a people ready for heaven. And some people who've been sitting in their Bella Lugosi Baptist churches and Presbyterian churches and Church of God churches and Pentecostal churches and charismatic churches who are enamored with the singing and the stage and all of the gifts and all the performance, we're enamored with that and we're not ready for heavenly divine worship yet. And God is getting us ready. Because when you get to heaven and I get to heaven, we're not going there and it's not going to be y'all sitting on that side and them sitting on that side. And open your book and sing page 333. It's not going to be that. It's going be one throne, one lamb and we're all from every kindred, nation, tribe and tongue going to fall down and begin to sing he's worthy. We'll never get tired. We'll never get weary. We'll never get wore out. The angels will never quit singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I'm trying to tell you there is an alignment happening in the nations. There's a sound that is being created among the redeemed. Why? Jesus is coming and he's preparing us for heavenly, divine eternal worship and this mess that we've been doing down here where the people on the stage do our singing for us and we come to a church and think it's Pigeon Forge like we paid for a ticket to get in and watch a show. That mess is over. God said I want some Davidic worship. I want some people that are not afraid to lift their hands in the beauty of holiness. Not afraid to sing a song that the angels cannot sing. It's a house of praise. I've never fought for anything more in the 23 years of ministry and the 20 years of pastoring this church. I've never had to contend for anything more than the, the posture of praise among the people of God. I've fought, we have fought hell over atmosphere and culture because there is this prevailing that tries to kill it. You can't kill it. Well, we came to inspect you. Sit there long enough and you're going to be the very one we have to peel off the roof because God's going to do a work in your life and you're going to forget about what people are sitting next to you and you're going to praise him like you don't give a rip anymore. David, I'm, I'm wrapping up here. David hired out of his own pocket 4,000 musicians I said 4,000. This is all in 1 Chronicles 13 through 25. You can go read it all this week. 4,000 musicians. 
4,000 gatekeepers, 288 singers, all of them employed full-time, roughly 8,500 employees, all paid for out of David's pocket. If he paid them each $30,000 a year, that's $255 million annually. And if he did it for 33 years, which we know he did, means he invested $8.4 billion. We need to raise money for the choir robes. The sound matters. Here is the presence of God underneath this tent, and David surrounded the ark with 4,500 staff devoted to playing lyre and harp and cymbals and dancers. and da I said dancers. Well, if I dance, it's going to be in the spirit. It ain't going to be in the flesh. If you dance, it'll be a miracle. Let me help you understand something about dancing, jumping, even clapping. God doesn't make you do it. If he did, it wouldn't be praise. Praise is not what he made you do. Praise is what you decided to do based upon your evaluation of who he is. So if you don't like praising him, obviously he hasn't done enough for you yet. But if you have taken inventory of your life and you know it was God that did it, then I loose you on this Sunday morning for the rest of your life to never be bound by the fear of man again. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. In fact, every Sunday we come together, I need some Someone on every road to appoint themselves a praise captain on your row. If nobody else on that road praises God throughout during the service and throughout the service, I need somebody who's thankful to go ahead and anoint themselves as the praise captain and say, I am responsible for making sure God gets the glory that is due his name. Why would you do that? Because you are convinced it was him that brought you through. It was him that saved your soul. It was him that is worthy of the praise. And we want to host and entertain the presence of the Lord and we want him to come back and be with us and, and live with us and we understand that praise is the key to living in the power of the presence of God. Stand with me. Hallelujah. Why don't we do it right now? Can we just lift our hands and begin to give him praise? And if you feel weird about it, I want you to praise him till you feel that glass ceiling begin to smash and break. And I want you to make up your mind on this Sunday morning that I'm not ever going to, I'm not ever going to come to the house of the Lord and not give him the glory that is due his name. Nobody's going to have to beg me. Nobody's going to have to praise me. I love him. He's been the best thing that ever happened to me. Come on and give him the glory to his name right now. If you want to clap, clap. If you want to jump, jump. If you want to dance, dance. If you want to shout, shout. If you want to kneel, kneel. If you want to run, whatever you want to do, give him glory. I hear the Holy Ghost saying, I'm getting you ready for heaven. I'm getting you ready for divine eternal worship. I'm trying to break you out of a religious box. Tell me anywhere in the Bible where you find a stage. No stage. Oh, we got one. 
We got one. I thought about it this morning. I thought, why do we have our worship leaders and musicians? Why do we have them? I tell you why, to make sure he gets the glory. But they're not here to do your worshiping for you. Because nobody knows like you know what the Lord has done for you. Well, this message is not very deep. I'm glad because some of us need to, we need to get what's in the shallow end first. This will not, I want to declare this and I'm leaving here. I just want to tell you this. We're not going to be a quiet, reserved house. We're going to be a vocal house. Is that because it's a style? No, it's because he's worthy. I have never seen a person praise God and their atmosphere not change. <laughs> praise changes the atmosphere. And I don't just praise him for what he'll do for me. I praise him because of who he is. I don't praise him for what he'll give me. He's given me so much, but I don't praise him for what he gives me. I praise him for who he is. Throw your hands up right now. Pastor Chris and Crystal are coming. But here's how I want us to begin praying this morning. And he can pray and lead you however he wants. I want us to begin to pray for an open heaven over this place right now. I want us to begin to pray for divine dimensions to be unlocked in this room. Come on, just ask God. For, if you don't even know what I'm talking about, just ask him by faith, Lord. We don't want to be so groundbound. Get us ready for heavenly worship, divine worship, the order of eternal worship. Let it begin to manifest in our church. Come on, we're not just physical beings. We're spirit beings. We're going to live forever in, in heaven. It won't look like this right now. It won't look like it looks right now. It's much deeper. It's much greater. It's much wiser. I'm not going to sit in heaven on a pew. I'm going to be surrounding a throne. I'm going to worship the Lamb forever. I'm going to look upon the face of the one who saved me. I don't know about you, but I'm not waiting on heaven to get there. I'm doing it right now. Somebody go for it right now. For the next three minutes, praise him like you want to praise him. Praise him like you. Come on, open up your mouth and get rid of that muzzle. Some of you have been wanting to say praise the Lord and you've never done it in church. Maybe they told you it was out of order. I came to tell you it's in order. Let everything that has breath begin to praise him all over this room right now. If we make noise for teams and if we make noise for sports, surely it's in order to give him worship. Surely it's in order to give him praise. Hallelujah. Come on, 60 straight seconds of glory. 60 straight seconds of praise. Bless the Lord, all my soul. Friend, I believe God is a miracle-working God, and the greatest miracle that God could ever work in your life is the gift of salvation. And I believe today somebody's watching me who says, Pastor Kevin, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to God. I want to serve the Lord. I want Jesus to save me. Let's pray this prayer together today. Mean it in your heart. Say, dear God, I repent of my sins. I turn to you today, Lord Jesus, believing that you're the Son of God and that you died for my sins. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, friend, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to go to kevinwallace.tv, and I just want you to drop us a prayer request and let us know that you gave your heart to Christ. Our team want to pray for you. We want to make sure that you're in a good, loving, Bible-believing church wherever you're from and that you continue to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. The best days of your life are still ahead of you, and we're praying for you today. God bless. I look forward to seeing you next week right here.